Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Zen Nicotine Pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life. Because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zen.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. What's up? This your boy, Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unk, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unk podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unk, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. School of Humans. I didn't tell, well, I'll tell you before, guys. So Dennis is apparently a long-haul truck driver now. What? <laughs> yeah, did I not tell you? So, all right, so my brother-in-law... He told me that Dennis is now a long-haul truck driver and that he's really happy because he doesn't have to deal with people anymore. Yeah, he shouldn't be dealing with people. Right, well, you, maybe he was in the wrong job, you think? I mean, you know? 30 years, yeah. No, my, 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 he's like, well, he's just had enough of all this and he just, you know, he's, he's, he don't want to deal with people anymore and I don't blame him. I'm like, he was in the wrong fucking job and he should have gotten out of it and not taken taxpayer money for 20 years. Anyway, you can't solve crimes and not deal with people. It's impossible. Cold cases. Like, yeah, For no, sure. I mean, anyhow. well, so just watch out because he might be, you know, who knows? He could be passing through the area. I saw Dennis Simons for the first time in a very long time at the pretrial hearing that I attended on October 3rd. Dennis retired a couple years ago. In fact, in the hearing, when they asked Dennis how they should refer to him as a special agent or Mr. Simons or what, he said, it used to be special agent, but now it's just nothing. Dennis was there to testify about his role as the lead investigator on Rebecca's case. He said that he worked the case for almost 18 years. The stakes in this pretrial hearing were high. Part of the pretrial was Billy Miller's defense lawyers trying to get the case dismissed because of what they alleged was an intentional and reckless delay that they claimed was simply inertia on Dennis Simon's part. While Dennis was talking, he was asked several questions about the fact that he failed to act. 
Dennis insisted that Rebecca's case was an active investigation the entire time. But I keep thinking back to the very first time I saw Dennis Simons in the flesh. It was at his satellite office in the Stone County Sheriff's Office. I remember seeing Rebecca's white case file on the shelf, covered in dust. In this episode, I'm going to do a deep dive into what Dr. Larry Gould, Rebecca's father, calls the gray area. I want to go through some discoveries we've made about the police work on the case. And I'm still trying to make sense of the inconsistencies in William's confession. And it seems like every single day now, we're hearing about more of them. I'm Katherine Townsend. This is Helen Gone. So a couple of very interesting things came out during the pretrial. First of all, Mike McNeil testified that the Arkansas State Police apparently now does have an official definition of cold cases. Mike said that this change happened very recently. From what I could gather, instead of labeling every case an open and active investigation, they are working on an official designation of cold cases. I think they could be trying to get away from the limbo that a lot of these cases end up in for years, which is what happened in Rebecca's case, where they're labeled open investigations for years at a time. He didn't offer many more details on that, but I hope they are changing that system. From what I've seen of Mike McNeil, I believe that he has a more modern attitude towards solving cases, one that I believe will be invaluable to the Arkansas State Police. But it's been a good old boy system for a long time. And some things are very slow to change. Something else I found out during the pretrial hearing was what went down after the first season of Helen Gone aired in 2018. Now, I'm mentioning this because that is crucial to our podcast. What happened was, if you'll remember from season one, we took a witness statement from someone who had information that was crucial to the case. And Dennis Simons, for lack of a better word, blew our witness off. Even though this witness had information about Rebecca's murder, that at that time had not been made public. Now, my dad does not work in law enforcement, but he is a volunteer Stone County Reserve Police deputy. I got him to go with me to interview the witness. We took a recorded and written statement, and those statements became part of the official record of the case file. I then tried to file a complaint against Dennis Simons because I believed that his inaction was actively harming the investigation into Rebecca's murder. Then I got that kind of irate call from Mark Collingsworth, who was Dennis's superior at the Arkansas State Police, and who had also worked on Rebecca's case for a few months, right before Dennis became lead investigator. Mark had me in for that crazy meeting, where basically he told me investigations are grown-up stuff and I should mind my own business. Well, after I left there and the podcast came out, we found out that Dennis Simons was basically ordered to reinvestigate the case and that his reinvestigation consisted of sending other people's police statements back to them and asking them if they were still correct, rather than bringing them in for an in-person interview. 
I said at the time that it seemed like Dennis was just kind of ticking boxes and that he appeared to be very obviously pissed off at us. Well, in the courtroom during the pretrial hearing, we found out that that's pretty much exactly what happened. Dennis testified that in 2018, he attended a case management meeting in Little Rock requested by Major Mark Hollingsworth, his boss. Dennis said that he could not recall the last time that a meeting like that had ever happened. And it was really funny because when Dennis was asked what happened in 2018 that had prompted that meeting, he looked like he was starting to get kind of nervous. Dennis testified that Rebecca's case was always an open and active case file, yet he couldn't seem to remember key names or dates on the stand. He said that he tried to read the case file at least once a year. And he called the national attention that the case got during the last two years of his career, media attention, by the way, that was generated by the Helen Gone podcast, extremely disruptive to his career. In my opinion, he started to look really flustered. And that, to me, was very satisfying because he should look flustered. He should be embarrassed about the fact that he doesn't know the key dates about a case that he was the lead investigator on for almost 20 years. We also discovered that the police knew about William Miller back in 2004. We know that Billy's name came up very early in the investigation as someone who had been by Casey's trailer, but the ASP investigators didn't see red flags with him. So instead of traveling to Texas to question him, they made the decision to ask law enforcement in Texas to question Billy. When the Texas police questioned him, they mainly asked him questions about Casey. The police also questioned his mom, Linda, and his brother, Jeremy. All of them denied knowing anything about Rebecca's murder. And after that, it appears that the whole thing was just dropped. After 2018, Dennis was taken off the case. I believe that that happened as a direct result of our podcast and of other people who were coming forward and other media stuff that was happening. After that, Mike McNeil took over the case. Mike said in the hearing that when he was assigned to Rebecca's case, he believed that it was Casey or someone in Casey's family or multiple people. He said that he was assigned Rebecca Gould's case officially in January of 2020. If you remember, it was, I believe, late January or early February 2020 when Mike reached out to me and asked for all of the recordings that we had. And we shared that information with him, including things that were not ever aired. Mike got up on the stand, and I thought he was spectacular. You could tell that Mike was taking everything very seriously. It's pretty incredible when you think Mike only had the case for about eight months. Dennis Simons had it for almost 16 years, and Mike was able to make an arrest. I am really proud of that. I think he did excellent work. And I'm also very proud that this podcast played a role in that. Hey, y'all, it's Catherine. As you know from Helen Gone... Crime can happen to anyone at any time. When it comes to home security, your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. Obviously, we cannot control everything that happens out there in the world, but when I'm in my own home, I feel very reassured by the fact that I have a home security system. And Simply Safe is affordable, easy to use. And crucially, it's easy to get started with and then build on later as you need more functionality. They have a huge variety of indoor and outdoor cameras. It's backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day with no contracts and a 60-day money-back guarantee. 
Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash Gone. That's simplysafe.com slash Gone. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. I've sent Billy Miller a letter, but so far, I haven't heard back from him. I do know that he's been moved from Washita to the East Arkansas Regional Unit, also known as Brickies. It's in Lee County, near Forest City. But it's only been a couple of weeks, and I know that in the past, some of the letters I've sent were apparently lost in transit, so I'm going to keep trying. If he does communicate with me, I will respond. If he puts me on his visitors list, I'll head over there in person to talk to him. In the meantime, I'm trying to address this gray area that Rebecca's dad, Dr. Larry Gould, brought up when I saw him a few weeks ago. This woman definitely did it, uh, but the gray area was not answered. And the gray area is, was there somebody else there? Is there somebody else help, help with this? There's still questions, and hopefully there's still a, a, you know, a way to get those answers because that gray area that I said that gray area that gray haunts me you know, I'm, I'm hoping that that there's a way to find to piece together that gray area there are always gray areas in murder cases no matter how many questions are answered we will never know the whole truth about what happened people keep telling me well sometimes You just have to accept the gray area. I already know that everybody lies in a murder investigation. Sometimes the lies are white lies, like the fact that somebody was actually standing outside rather than inside in their kitchen. But they don't want to tell the police that they were eavesdropping and being nosy. Then there are the more serious lies. Lies about whether someone was sexually assaulted or not. Lies about what actually happened to the victim or whether someone else could have been involved. I really want to be able to mentally file Rebecca's case into a cold case file, stamp solved on it, and move on. Move on to other families and other people who want and need my help. But a lot of the things about the confession don't make sense. 
like the fact that Billy first said he strangled Rebecca, then later told Larry that he didn't. He first said that the crime scene was in the bedroom, but later when the affidavit for arrest was written, it reads simply that he caused her death. All of that detail was omitted. Billy is claiming he was in the area to help his family move back to Texas that weekend. But Jennifer Buckholtz and others have pointed out over the years that Billy's brother, Jeremy, was unenrolled from school pretty suddenly. The family did not even bother to book their U-Hauls in advance. So was that move really pre-planned, or did they need to leave town quickly for other reasons? Billy did talk to one person after his arrest. She wrote an article and printed an excerpt from their interview in an online real estate magazine called Next Door. That interview was apparently set up by one of Rebecca's older sisters. In the article, Billy told the reporter that his mother, Linda, was reunited with Casey's grandfather, Claude McCullough Sr., who was also her biological father when she was young. Billy was very close to his mother growing up, but his father was working far away from home. So as Billy grew up, He apparently was fascinated by Claude McCullough and was very close to Claude and his grandmother. Billy had told law enforcement that he went back to Casey's trailer twice on Sunday. But in the article, there's even more detail. This time, he seems to say he went back to the trailer three times. Once when Casey was there, that's the time when he saw Rebecca come out the door. Then Billy said he went back again, but no one was home. And then he said he went back later that night to ask Casey if he could help load furniture but Casey said he was busy. Billy said before that he parked his truck out in the woods to hide it. But in this interview, he says he parked it behind the house. Now, this is the area where the back porch is. Cars and trucks could pull up there. So if Billy's truck was there, Rebecca could have seen the vehicle. So who was he hiding the vehicle from? From Rebecca or from people on the street? In the article, The writer explained that Billy seemed to be hiding things about family members, people who may have known about the murder. It reads, quote, A direct question, such as when did your mother know, is deflected. When William asked to speak to his brother and mother, according to the article, Jeremy, his brother, was shocked. But Linda, his mother, had no reaction. In the article, it states that this is because he claimed that she was diabetic and was in a trance. End quote. According to the article, when police contacted Linda, Billy's mom, in Oregon back in 2020 and asked if he was there, she said that Billy was out of the country, even though he was already in Oregon. Later, according to media reports, she claimed that this was because she wasn't sure if this was a legitimate officer. I find that very hard to believe, especially since after that phone call from the police, she then reportedly contacted Billy and told him that the situation needed to be dealt with. If she thought the officer wasn't legit, why bother to reach out? And then there are the cleaning supplies, the ones that were shown in the crime scene photos. According to this article, Linda bought those cleaning supplies at the request of Casey's father, which apparently was part of their usual routine. This seems incredibly odd to me. Why would Linda be buying all new cleaning products for the trailer? And again, if she bought them and took them inside, didn't she notice that there was blood everywhere? When I was in court for the pretrial hearing, Mike McNeil testified that Billy had communication with Casey and his mother Linda and others about the case and his arrest. He didn't go into more detail, unfortunately. But why would Billy specifically feel the need to reach out to those people in that moment? But if Billy didn't act alone, why would he insist that he did? 
Billy has been caught in several inconsistent statements so far that we know of. So why would law enforcement accept his confession, even if it's not consistent with the crime scene photos? To get answers, I did some research into false confessions. It turns out that false confessions happen all the time for all kinds of reasons. People always say, well, why would somebody ever confess to a crime that they didn't do? And my comeback is, well, why would you confess to a crime that you did do? I mean, doing both is pretty stupid. This is Jim Tranium. He's a retired detective from the Washington, D.C. Metropolitan Police Department, where he spent 27 years as a homicide detective. And now he's a consultant in police practices, especially in the area of interrogation and false confessions. I wanted to talk to him about false confessions, how they happen, and what we can do to prevent them. The interrogation practices that we've been using for well over 40 years in this country have been very well established, have been accepted by the courts. But just because they're accepted by the courts doesn't mean that they're not problematic. But they're designed to convince you that your your best path is to tell the detective what they want to hear. And we do that pretty much by convincing you that your conviction is going to be inevitable, that the judges are going to look at you very badly. People are they're not going to think very highly of you. You know, jurors are going to really look down. But if you confess, then, you know, people will understand. People will be more sympathetic. And there's all you know, other kind of benefits that are kind of insinuated in this process that makes mm-hmm. the person believe that their best, like I said, their best option is to tell the detective what they want to hear. Now, the thing about this process is that it's very, very effective. It does get a lot of good confessions. The problem is, is that it can also create the same mindset inside of an innocent person who believes that, oh my God, they're telling me that they have my fingerprints or they have a bunch of witnesses who saw me do this and that everybody's going to believe the witnesses and not me. And my only out is to tell the detective, you know, what they want to hear. Now I've got to figure out what that is. And so that's where contamination comes in. As officers, we understand how contamination of physical evidence occurs very well. And we take a lot of steps to guard against that. However, when it comes to getting statement evidence, not only from suspects, but also from witnesses, we have a very poor understanding of how to interview them in such a way that that we can show that the information is coming from them. It is not unintentionally being fed to them by us. You have to be able to show that that information came from the suspect and not from the detective or another source. Or the podcast. Right. <laughs> I think that wasn't what I meant to do, but, you know, I'm sure I did some of that myself, and I'm trying to now figure out how to best handle that. Well, the thing about it is, is especially in cases like this, the likelihood of the person having new information, and this is a gold standard, does the person have new information that mm-hmm. the detectives did not know prior to the interrogation? that they could then go out and corroborate, Mm -hmm. such as the location of the murder weapon, things along that line. Now, physical corroboration is always the best. However, you you can also sometimes corroborate it through witnesses, but the problem is, of course, if they go back, they might contaminate, (laughs) they might say, yeah, well, this guy confessed, and this is what he said, is this true? 
Oh, yeah, that's true. You, know, you, you see that happen a lot. So, um, you know, you could have a 100% guilty suspect who gives a confession that matches all the stuff, but the contamination is so bad that you can't prove that it came from them. And it right. makes the confession worthless. This stands out to me because Billy's confession about what actually happened to Rebecca had no details in it that could not have been found online. As I mentioned, we know that he was reading stuff on the unsolved murder of Rebecca Gould community. We also know that he was reading books about the case, and he was listening to my podcast and other podcasts. Billy did have one new detail that police didn't have. For years, we had been hearing that Rebecca had a black rolling suitcase and that it had been missing from the crime scene. Billy told investigators the location of that suitcase and then was able to lead them to the exact spot in Izzard County where the suitcase was. So this does point to Billy being involved in Rebecca's murder. But other parts of Billy's confession don't make sense, especially when he talks about what actually happened to Rebecca inside that trailer. There were several inconsistencies in that confession, like the fact that Billy's timing was wrong. As Jennifer Buckholtz pointed out, the law enforcement timeline has Rebecca driving Casey to work, then stopping at the Possum Trot to buy that breakfast sandwich, then driving the 15 minutes back to Casey's trailer. Casey clocked in at 8.12 on Monday morning, so that would put Rebecca back at his place at around 8.30. William claims he was there at 8 a.m. So if police believed that Billy may have left details out of his confession, or if they knew that there were details that didn't make sense or fit the physical evidence, why would they accept the confession? We're dealing with a man who we know has been lying to everyone for 18 years and who has already told at least two different stories about what really happened to Rebecca Gould. So Billy did provide law enforcement with details about the crime scene cleanup that weren't known before. But he didn't add any new details about Rebecca's murder that the police didn't already have. That plus the fact that his confession doesn't match the physical evidence. That raises real doubts to me that Billy's confession has been contaminated in some way. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. 
Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. One big question in our gray area is, what's the exact relationship between Billy Miller and Casey McCullough? We know that they're first cousins. To get some more insight on Billy's family tree, I talked to Miranda Ward. She's an ex-girlfriend of Casey's. They started dating in 2010 and went out for about a year and a half. The first time that I met Miranda was actually at CrimeCon in Austin a few years back. She came to my talk where I mentioned Rebecca's case, and she was sitting with George Jarrett and Jennifer Buckholtz. We all ended up going out to dinner and drinks. She told me at the time, and she still says, she can't stop thinking about the fact that she was dating someone and completely trusted someone who she later suspected could have been involved in a brutal murder. What was Casey like? What was he like as a boyfriend? He was very, very sweet and doting. He, you know, he paid attention. But, you know, we only dated for like a year and a half, maybe, maybe almost two. Our breakup was... Uh, it was it's kind of weird but I worked you know waiting tables at Applebee's and we were open till two in the morning so that smoking area kind of turned into a little you know party spot and you know we closed down and he would hang out and um you, you know help help me out at work or you know just be there yeah he was romantic I guess the word is. and we were both you know artsy people I got we got along really well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's been an emotional roller coaster. Miranda's been active in Jennifer Buckholtz and George Jared's Facebook group. She's actually the one that told them Billy Miller was Casey's cousin when he first joined the group. How did you figure out that William I mean, did you know William's name already or how did you figure out he was Casey's cousin? Right. So Casey had told me he had cousins in Texas. In South Texas, right? Because he told me he's from Baytown, and he he liked it there. It sounded like he really enjoyed it. Yet he really liked his grandparents' land. Yeah. So the obituary is where I started. You know, that was gold. The 2018 when Claude McCullough passed away. So without the obituary, we wouldn't have been able to find Linda. Right. Yeah. So I just started finding any obituaries I could. And then I would start at Casey's Facebook and go from there and just start matching. And then I finally found Linda and I was looking for William, but I kept seeing Billy and um, neither. He didn't have his profile picture of him. He just had a cartoon character. I think it was a Martian man. He had all his goals and, you know, weird kind of art stuff. Right. Not a lot of. I, think, I want to say there was maybe two or three actual pictures of himself. He had a cup. He has a couple. You know, one of them got shut down, which is was his most active. Mm-hmm. But he had a couple profiles. And then, you know, obviously he's interesting because he's in the Philippines and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he gets on the Facebook page, and Jennifer's like, "You said this name. Who is this?" <laughs> I said, it's a cousin. She said, no. I said, yes. <laughs> and wow. I had to, like, 
paying it out for her a couple times. And she's like, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. No way. But she, you know, she's, it's hard to believe. Yeah. <laughs> so did William and Casey four. grow up together, knowing each other? Yes, they knew of each other. You know, they were very, that's their William's grandparents also. Mm-hmm. They lived a couple hours from each other on the coast of Texas um, before Casey moved. And I want to say he was like seven, eight when he moved. Right. Um, so, and then, you know, they would travel to hang out with him, I'm sure. Um, you know, if they were close in their teenage years, I don't know. But I have no doubts that they were tearing up that land on right. some horrible or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> they, you know, because not only is that their uncle and cousins, it's also grandparents. So. I so appreciate you speaking to talking to me because um, and I'll probably have more questions at some point, but it, w- it would make me feel a lot better if I believe that William did act alone. Cause then I'd be like, okay, it's done. It's over good. Cause I don't care who's, you know, who did it. I just, I just feel like this confession is just bullshit. Parts of it are bullshit. And I can't shake that feeling. And the more yeah. I see, the more it, it looks like it is. And I, you know, I'm just trying to figure out a way to get all the answers to the best of my ability. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't shake it either um and i've never believed that who they however this happened anybody was alone i don't believe anybody was alone i originally believed that his family knew um his immediate family and enough or anyone involved in his family they have figured out a way to make it all work i think that if they weren't warned that he would have been i don't think that he could have done any of this by himself what I can't get is that the, the physical evidence just doesn't match William's confession at all, and I can't figure out why they're not. I mean, I kind of know why they're not doing anything, but it's just crazy. The physical evidence is harder for me to understand, and I think that um, William got ahead of himself. And, like, I don't know. There's a family that I can compare them to in my mind, and it has not failed me so far. Um, they're just very... Um, you know, as long as we band together, everything's going to be okay. Yeah, that's their whole mentality. It's true. Yeah. And, you know, I could see them just getting into some shady stuff just because they think they can get away with it. And um, I wonder, I, I still wonder if William went and got his mom and got her involved or she was already there. And, oh, I can't wait to get the case filed. Well, that's the next big hurdle, and that's what we're, you know, I I know you filed a a FOIA request. I did, too, and, you know, and and Larry is supposedly talking to the prosecutors this week, and we'll see what happens there. Rebecca's father, Dr. Larry Gould, has a meeting set with the prosecutor, Eric Hance, on November 30th. As part of Billy Miller's plea agreement, Larry was asked if he had any requests. One of the conditions that Larry set was that Rebecca's case file be returned to him within a 10 to 30 day period. And Eric Hance agreed to these terms. Larry's plan was to get the case file, thoroughly review it, and then at that meeting on November 30th, to ask Eric Hance some questions about inconsistencies. But a few days before the scheduled meeting, right before Thanksgiving, Larry let me know that he does not yet have the case file. Apparently, the prosecutor's office texted Larry. They said that they had not even gotten the case file back from the Arkansas State Police yet. 
They said that they're waiting for it, and there's pretty much nothing they can do until they get it. I find myself getting very frustrated on Larry's behalf, especially when I see a message from Eric Hans's assistant saying that he'll be out of the office all week and won't be checking or responding to emails. The tone in Larry's letters, while it has always been unfailingly polite and very kind, is also getting more frustrated, and I can absolutely understand why. This is a grieving father who has already waited 20 years to see justice done in his daughter's case. They promised him the case file within a certain time frame, and now they appear to be going back on that promise. Now, they have said that the Arkansas State Police need to make redactions to the case file, which presumably would involve blacking out certain information. My question is, in the age of redaction software, how long is this process supposed to take? Surely 10 to 30 days should be an ample time frame. After 18 years in a highly publicized case, I can understand why the ASP would want to make an arrest, take that confession, and close the case. And again, I believe Special Agent Mike McNeil did some great police work here. But I don't think it's over. As for my own personal gray area, I can accept that I may never know what Billy's true motives were, or if he meant to sexually assault Rebecca, or exactly what she said to him. But I can't accept the thought that there may have been other people involved in Rebecca's murder, or people who covered it up, or even knew about it, and did nothing. People who so far have escaped justice. I'm Katherine Townsend. This is Helen Gone. Helen Gone is a production of School of Humans and iHeartMedia. Our producer is Gabby Watts. Executive producers are Virginia Prescott, Brandon Barr, and L.C. Crowley. Music is by Ben Salee. Special thanks to Season 1 producers Taylor Church and James Morrison. School of Humans School of Humans From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. 
Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 